Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host Dennis Simpson as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas's favorite radio station, KVRE. Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live at kvre.com. Hot Springs Village, inside out. <laughs> live. I'm going to start doing the shows again in the open. I think you should do the open. Yeah, I, think I think you think should, should, maybe. Too. Yeah, I think yeah. I should, too. It is Go a ahead. delight to be with you again today. I'm going to preface something just to say real quick that uh, most people don't know. You obviously know that we record these in advance, and we have a great guest today, Mr. Brad Meredith. Huh? No, go what? ahead. Yeah, but, but what I was going to say in advance. is... Of course they're recorded in advance. Of course they're recorded in advance, but they don't know how much in advance. This week, this week, my friend, we you are setting a record. Tell them. Huh? You don't have to tell them. No, I don't have to, but I'm gonna. Okay, go ahead. This week, and Brad, you will be number eight. You will be our eighth interview of the week. And wow. buddy, we, we love you, but it's been a long week. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that. We like to hit it hard one week and then take about three weeks off. I need one of those jobs. Yeah. There's a lot of Jamaican. Like there's, well, a, there's a lot of Jamaican in our style, you know, like, yeah, yeah man, we do it now. No, man, not now. Not These now. Jobs, and this job doesn't pay at all either, Brad. So, yeah. This, uh, we, oh. we hadn't thought about it, but you know, Jamaica is like Island time. So maybe Brad's <laughs> on like Lake time, right? Is there such a yeah. thing, Brad? No. No, there's not. Yeah. So, give us some background. Tell us where you come from, how you got to be, and give us the exact full term, how you got to be who you are today. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm Brad Meredith. I'm the Lakes Ecology and Fisheries Manager here in Hot Springs Village. Um, I grew up in Jesseville, went to Jesseville from kindergarten through uh, graduation. So uh, kind of local live just outside the East gate now. So still here in the same area, went to uh, UAM straight out of school and decided I didn't want to go to college anymore after a year. Um, so started working on the golf course, worked on the Soto golf course seasonal before always been around here, worked on this on the golf course for almost five years and said, if I'm going to do something. I better do it now. And went back to school and went to UALR for four years Got a bachelor's, stayed there for two and a half more years, got a master's, and uh, worked for U.S. Geological Survey after that while I was working on my master's in for about a year and a half after that, and then uh, came here in August of 2014 and have been here ever since. Okay. Randy, I want you to watch closely, okay? I'm patting on your back, too. We, inv- <laughs> we interview the most interesting people. I'm not exaggerating and I'm not bragging. I mean, he's the one seriously. that needs a pat on the back, not us. He's the one that did wow. all that, not us. Uh, okay, yeah. so <clears throat> at first, college is not for you, and then you can't get enough of it for the next six years, apparently, right? So Yeah, I, I, I back and forth with the wife about a PhD and said, no, I'm tired of it again, so I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so, but a master's in specifically in what? My bachelor's is in um, fisheries and wildlife, and my master's is kind of a split. It's integrated science and mathematics, but it's a split between half of my concentration in fisheries and the other half was in um, GIS. You know, um, as the movie yeah. line says, look the big brains on Brad. 
<laughs> BBB, big brains on Brad. No, I don't know about all that. But. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not lost on me. You know, the old joke was, is that, uh, I think it was Mark Twain said anytime somebody told him they were just a good old Southern Southern country boy, he reached around, make sure he has still had his wallet. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And I say that not to say anything that way, but you know, Brad, to the average layperson, it might be, well, there's the guy that works on the lakes and he's doing the dredging and he's in charge. He's got a PhD. He's got a master's in what really impressive. It, it, it's, 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 we go from shocking fish to picking up buoys to putting out brush piles to I've been sitting on a skid steer for six hours today. So, uh, this time of year, I could be doing just about anything, but most okay. of the time this month we're dredging. So I about to say when, when you come to the forefront, there's one or two things going on. There's either a problem with the lakes or there's dredging and yep. dredging seems like the never ending jo- job. Is that, is that where it is? Uh, for three to five months out of the year, depending on what's going on. Yeah. That's, that's the main, the main task. Okay. Before we dive in that, let's go way back high. Let's do the 25 mile high view. Who owns the lakes? Does the, does the fishery service stock them? Can anybody fish in the lakes, et cetera? Sure. So this is a clouded question, but I'll give you the rundown on all of it. So the state owns the water. So the water moves through the village and the state owns water. So that's, that's how that works. But the POA owns the access to that water. The POA, so, owns, uh, the POA owns the land under the water? The POA owns the common property, which is the land under the water. And they, they own the access to the water. We own all the streets and all the roads. Somebody has to cross private property to get to a village lake. So we control the access. Um, so the only people that are actually allowed to be here are property owners, employees, and property owners' guests. Okay, so, so the and, the and visitors. There are some visitors that come in through village villas or VRBOs or something like that, and those people have access because they're a guest of those individuals or those. Okay, companies. well, not too many years ago, probably not too many, probably ten years ago, in my collective memory, I remember seeing the Arkansas Hatchery and Fisheries truck dumping thousands of little fishies in the Lake Balboa. And I'm like, hang on. So that's the public entity and we're a private community. Can anybody, does that mean that anybody can come in and fish our fish because they're public fish? The lakes were originally stocked by the game and fish. All the lakes were. Um, Arkansas game and fish commission stopped stocking hot springs village lakes in 2020. The last stocking they did was in 2020. And they don't um, intend. They don't intend to do that again. No, no. They supply fish for one event. They supply the fish for the youth fishing derby that we have at Cortez around the Fourth of July. Uh, it's part of the Fourth of July event ceremonies, celebrations, all that good stuff. Um, but they supply the fish for that. Otherwise, um, they don't. So last year. There were some there were some debates and there were some discussions and in in the end of 2020 there is some literature that allowed us to start stocking our lakes again. So for 2021 we actually stocked um, we actually stocked fish in the lakes other than grass carp. We've been stocking grass carp for several years, 
depending on the need and the location. But um, and game and fish never did supply those, as far as I know. Maybe the initial stockings, but um, so we stocked crappie in Lake Sophia, and we stocked red ear in Lake Estrella this year. Those are the first the first of that. And the, and the intention is to move forward with that in some way, shape, form or fashion for 2022. We're going to base our stockings this year off of our um, fishery survey. We'll be electrofishing in the spring. Water gets up to about 56 to 58 degrees. Uh, folks that live along the lakes will probably see the spaceship out at night. It's just our shock boat. The police already know we're there. So you can call them and they'll tell you that. Um, spaceship but, you say the spaceship yeah it's 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 got a lot of lights on the front of it and it lights up the water really well and there's some reflection off the water on the people's houses we're I promise we're not looking in the house we're looking in the water um but yeah that's uh so we'll base our our stocking and where we stock and what we stock uh we'll base on that this year what we did for 2021 was uh we haven't electrofished since 2019 because we had covid in 2020 and then 2021, there were still some precautions. We're moving forward with that for 2022. Um, so we'll we'll base our, our stockings on that. But for 2021, what we did was we bought a, a, a larger size class. Uh, so we weren't worrying about predation on those fish. We bought four to five inch crappie that we put in Lake, uh, Lake Sophia. And um, we bought, we were going to try to buy four to five inch red ear to put in uh, Lake Estrella, but they didn't grow out like the grower. This There's only one grower that grows them to that size uh, and they didn't grow out to that large. So we bought the largest size class they had, which was three to four inches. So you don't um, have to buy them from the state. You can buy them from anybody. No, no, we buy them from uh, private growers. We, we get pretty good deals on them like that. So uh, we bought those from uh, a company in Lone Oak. That's all they Randy, do. Is grow Randy, I'm not going to hog all this because I'm fascinated. I can tell you are too. Well, prior so prior to 2021, the village didn't do any stocking of fish, or not. other than other other than grass carp. And at one point in time, uh, some property owners bought some fry, uh, some golden shiner fry. That was a they buy them as eggs. They're shipped in. And in the shipping process, they hatch into a fingerling and we put those in. Um, we're not sure how well they take because they're they're almost microscopic when we put them in the lake and you put them in in such large numbers. Very few of them actually grow to adulthood because everything can eat them when they're that size. So uh, they're, they're, we don't know how well like those did. We actually did see one in 2019 in one of our in our sampling on Lake Sophia. We did see one uh, redfin or I'm, I'm sorry, one golden shiner um, that was an adult size, probably close to four inches long. Um, that's the only one that we've seen, but that could have been from some stocking that Game Fish had done the year before. Uh, that's That was our assumption on that. They stocked some adults in well, there. The end. We had a lot of vegetation, so that's what we thought that was. Well, let me back up just a second, because the one of all these and the, the tremendous amount of information, there's one question you didn't ask, can – can anybody from outside the village come and fish in the village because they were putting in those, those fish from the state? No, okay. no, you have to have permission from a property owner to, to come across the private property to get to the lake. The gates are, this is a gated private community. It's not open for everybody. Okay. No, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a brand new property owner. True story. And in order to, to be able to fish, I need to do what? In order to fish, you need a fishing license. 
Um, you need an Arkansas State uh, fishing license. You can buy that on the website. You can buy it on the app, download the app, and it keeps your fishing license on the app for you. Um, you can show that to somebody if you were. I, I had a law enforcement officer tell me he could write me a ticket for fishing in a puddle in a parking lot if I didn't have a fishing license. So um, I don't know that he would, but that's what he told me standing in the parking lot at Cortez Boat Ramp. And um, he could have. He could have was the and point. And he could right? have. Yeah. Yeah. That was well, that was the point he was making was that he could. Well, I wanted, so, to throw, uh, I wanted to throw one else out real quick. And Randy, you said, what do you need if you want to to fish? The short answer? is you need a smartphone because they used to be able to buy those. (laughs) You used to be able to buy those at Walmart and used to be able to buy them at bait shops and you can't do that anymore. So you, so how do you, I mean, Brad, you know more about game and fish. Do you, can you send in a letter? I mean, we have lots of listeners and viewers who may not have a smartphone. I know. Um, I believe you can still buy them at Walmart. I I know you can call, um, you can pick up a pamphlet at Walmart in the back in the sporting goods section. There'll be a number in there you can call and pay for them over the phone, and they will mail them to you. Um, and that will, license you, will if, cost me what? Take that back. Take that back. That you you put in your email address when you do that, and they send you an email, and it's a you can print out the paper copy. They don't. It used to print out this folding that you kept with you all the time, and they don't do that anymore. It's just a eight and a half by eleven. And this um, is an annual license, I assume, and it's going to cost me how much? Uh, 1050 for a resident. And if you're, uh, that's when you turn 16, you're required to buy a fishing license. And when you turn 65, you buy a fishing license. After that, you don't have to buy another one. That's your lifetime license for $10 and 50 cents. So Randy, just wait another few months and you can buy your lifetime yeah. fishing license. Yeah. This, there summer, you go. This, there summer, you go. this summer, I'm golden. <laughs> there you go. Good deal. I'm golden. Okay. And the limitations and the limitations inside the village. I mean, there's, there's how many lakes and how many of them we have be fished? We have 12 lakes. Uh, 11 of those are recreational. Lake Lago is off limits. Um, there are different restrictions on each lake. The only one that does not allow outboard motors is Lake Segovia. It's a tiny uh, 11 acre lake west, northwest of Lake DeSoto. Um, it's off of Lagrangia. And um, La Canada kind of goes into Segovia Courts, uh, but the access point is off of Lagrangia, which is off of Segovia Way. Segovia Way, yeah. And the kind so of over fish, there, the kind of fish that I'm going to be fishing for in these lakes is going to be from what to what? When you turn 65, Randy. When you when turn, I 65. turn 65 and start, <laughs> we've got uh, we've got a uh, a really good population, largemouth bass. We have spotted bass in some of the lakes, some of the smaller lakes on the east end. We don't have spotted bass in, but a lot of lakes we do. Um, it's it a lot of times looks like a largemouth bass. It has a pretty distinct coloration under the lateral line. You'll see dark uh spots most of the time uniform and it has a tongue patch on it and a smaller mouth um once you see a few and somebody points it out they're easy to tell the difference but uh so we have large mouth uh spotted bass we have about five or six different species of sunfish from uh bluegills red ears uh, long ears green sunfish hybrids of these that's when you get into some really pretty colors uh when you get hybrids of those um we have black and white crappie uh, we have uh, channel cat, blue cat, flathead cat fishing. A couple of the old lakes we've seen up to, uh, we shocked one in 2016, weighed 26 pounds in Lake DeSoto. Um, we see um, 
mad toms, the different species of catfish or, or bullheads, they don't get quite as big. Um, down to, we've got grass carp, we've got common carp in a, in a few of the old lakes. Uh, we've got some gizzard shad. They're as big as this crappie back here over my head. Um, so it, you, and, and we even shocked a 12 inch goldfish in Lake Coronado one night. So 12 inch uh, goldfish. So yeah. hang on. <clears throat> so yeah. Randy, so. Randy, let's use Randy as the example here and, and, and not exactly a fishing professional. Now that's sure. my, yeah. hardly, hardly angler wants, is not an exam is an adjective <laughs> that anybody would use to describe me. Nobody said Randy, <laughs> okay. Randy Cantrell angler. No, no, they hadn't done that yet. Right. Not going so, to. but, but he throws out, literally, he throws out a worm or a plastic worm this time of year in the winter in virtually any lake. And he's going to catch a Cold. generic. What? I would say he's probably most likely to catch a bass this time of year. Um, it's going to be really slow in the winter, um, for everything. So, um, you might get a, you might get a few bites on a bluegill from a bluegill or something like that. Some type of sunfish. Uh, most of the fish have moved off the sh- off the banks into a little bit deeper water where they're less prone to temperature fluctuations. But when we have warm days and a warm trend, uh, those fish will move back up shallow and they're more susceptible to being caught, Um, especially if we have four or five days in a row. And then we have a big cold front coming in after that where the water, where the temperature is going to drop 20 or 30 degrees Uh, on those, that last warm day, you can, a lot of times you can do really, really good um, even in the winter time. But when March, rolls around the bass will really really start picking back up they'll start moving back up in shallow water you can catch them on floating worm catch them on leadhead worm catch them on jerk bait spinner bait um catch them on a buzz bait sometimes around the sea walls and around that grass and that kind of stuff um a lot of people catch them on a crankbait in a little bit deeper water as they're moving up and then as they're transitioning out of the out of the spawning flats and those kind of places um and and a lot of people if you can catch them at the right time you can catch them on a on a bed uh, as they're spawning and, and catch them on just about anything you can get in there with them because they're really protected with those beds when they're, when so, they're up and on. So I'm assuming you like the national forest, right? I have been on the national forest a few times. It's been a, it's been a few years, but yeah. Property. And I realize I've read their, um, how do I say it? their directives and their directives sound like a schizophrenic, paranoid person trying to please everybody at once. Well, it has to please this homeowner and this landowner, and it has to provide timber, and that it has to be set aside as perpetuity, and then it has to, and you're looking at this, and you're like, how can one piece of property, even though it's a million and a half acres, how can one piece of property do this for so many people? And the reason I know, I say bring this up, and I think you know where I'm going is, we got 11 lakes that you have to oversee. How do you make the fishermen want a certain thing? The boaters want a certain thing. The residents want a certain thing. How do you please everybody? Mm, poorly. You don't please poorly. everybody. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just do the best you can with what you got. Um, I know the fishermen would like to have the water to have a lot more color in it. Um, we could fertilize to, to accomplish that. When you start fertilizing, then you start losing water clarity and it can be an inconvenience or an algae bloom or something like that can cause problems for property owners, especially those that are swimming. You don't want to swim in an algae bloom. Uh, It's nasty and it sometimes they can kind of stink a little bit, but to grow fish, you need algae for the microorganisms that, and the zooplankters that the little bitty fish that are feeding the big fish are, are eating. So um, that's, that's, and, and, and vegetation is another thing. One of, Shoreline vegetation is fantastic for spawning fish and for 
for fry and those kind of things. It provides a habitat for them that can last um, until they get to a size where they're not going to be so easily, you know, eaten by the predators. But um, we have to we have to manage those for the property owners. So um, we'd like to do a little bit more things with water clarity and, and fertilization, but um, we want to make sure that the property owners are, are that live on the lakes are happy with it too. And and fortunately, um, our lakes do pretty well on their own. Um, we have some issues we had in 2017 when we had hydrilla on Lake Balboa. We uh, had to take care of that. We've had some issues with uh, some different kinds of algaes and, and uh, macrophytes on a couple of small lakes on the east ends that we've had to get rid of. Um, so we have to limit that, any of that kind of growth. If it's an inconvenience for the property owners and we have to do something about it. And, and we, we want to try to, uh, to take care of things before it becomes an inconvenience anymore. Uh, I've, I've been saying for a few years now, if we could genetically alter hydrilla where it grew to about this tall, you know, about 12 inches tall and, and grew from about six feet of water out to about 15 or 18, then we could we'd be, we'd be set for life for that because there'd be a lot of people buying it. But well, I, I think we're, I think where I was going and and what I want to just bring up real quick is, you know, before we joined you, you were speaking to an owner who was working with a beaver project, a beaver problem in one of their lakes. Uh, It's, it's very hard to balance all these because everybody has a different set of expectations, right? I mean, Randy wants to catch a big, big catfish deep out in the lake. He doesn't know that yet, but he does. And, uh, but I just want to eat catfish, fried catfish. <laughs> mainly what I want to do. But you need about a three pounder. That's that's the yeah. size of everybody. Three yeah. to five pounds. That's what everybody wants to eat. Yeah, I actually here on Lake Basoto, I caught a five pounder uh, back out on the point here down by Sierra Drive or Sierra Lane, and uh, I'm I'm sitting here minding my own business, Brad, minding my own business, and something starts tugging on my line, and I pull back, and I tug, and I pull back, and I'm like, great, I got a turtle or a snag. And I tug and I pull and I tug and I pull and I tug and I pull next thing. You know, there's a big splash in the water. And I'm like, did I bring a net? Did I, I don't think I brought a net. I've got like a six pound catfish on the end of the hook here. And I'm like, uh, I really wasn't planning on catching anything today. I was just fishing. Right. You know? Yep. Yep. It's, uh, fortunately there's something for everybody here in the village. Yeah. We've got, we've got lakes that, that do really well for bass and the old lakes and even some of the, the small lakes on the East end do really well for bass. We've got some, some lakes on the East end that do really, really good for great big bluegill and, and, and red ear. Uh, so those are fantastic. And we've got some other lakes that do well for, you know, just maybe not a big giant red ear, but a, you catch a whole lot of, you know, eight to 10 inch ones. And that's what a lot of people like to eat. So, uh, we've got a lot of uh, several lakes that do that, and and fortunately, there's something for everybody here in the village. We've got some uh, a couple of lakes that do pretty good for crappie. Uh, what we're what we're seeing with uh, some of the trips I've made with some property owners that have the new uh, Garmin sonar, the live scope is is the crappie are there. They're just they're pretty selective on what they buy. So. Um, I, I, when you when you drive by a brush pile and you see the brush move, it's not the brush moving; it's the fish in them. It's 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 not that they're not there. It's just you hadn't figured out how to catch them yet. So. Is there a mythical fish inside the village that people have named? Uh, n- not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. There was a there was a big I saw a big koi fish on uh, out behind 
the Explorer restaurant when it was last chance sometime back. And I never heard anybody getting it, uh, but it was probably 40 inches long. Um, Man. So uh, I, you hear, you hear stories. I hear stories every once in a while about, I've heard people talk about a gar in the lake. I've never seen one. Uh, I've seen one in the streams around the lakes, downstream of the dams, not upstream in between or anything like that. Um, but no, I've, I've well, not anything, not anything I'm, I'm looking for. I did get a call one day, uh, a property owner was in line at one of the Cranfords and, and the gentleman that was in front of him was talking to the lady behind the cash register and said there was an alligator in the village lake. So I spent three days driving the shoreline looking for any kind of alligator sign anywhere. That, then all I found were a bunch of ceramic alligators in people's yards. So I figured he was just giving the young lady a hard time, but we couldn't confirm it or deny it from anybody. So, Well, in the, in the middle of the winter, I mean, when the winter, in the middle of the summer, and I mean the late summer and late summer, we will have, some, I guess they're grass carp, but we will have two foot long grass carp in six inches of water. I mean, it's not that deep. And they're yeah. right up on the shoreline. And I'm like, what are, what is going on? And they will have two or three at a time right beside each other. Why do we have grass carp? What do they do? What's the purpose? The, the grass carp eat vegetation in the water from the, uh, any, they pretty well eat anything they can find. Um, I've, I've even seen them along the shoreline where people's, uh, where the grass was growing right down to the edge of the water with their mouths up, just eating the grass off the edge of the bank. So, uh, they'll, they'll eat anything, anything that they can get their mouth on in the water. That's some type of vegetation. I mean, you can catch them on, uh, you can catch them on orange peels and all kinds of stuff. If they're a little bit feed trained, um, where you're, you've got floating fish food, they'll come and eat that stuff and you can catch them on an orange peel or something like that. That's floating in the water. And they, they fight really, really hard. They pull hard. They're, they're a good time to catch. Uh, they're super slimy, a really, really thick mucus layer on them. Um, but they fight really, really hard. I, I, I hear they're good to eat. I don't know. I've not had one. Um, <laughs> Do you remember but, what's it? Kendall. Remember Kendall that passed away here, the barber on the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kendall, I asked Kendall one time, I said, what, what do you say about the hybrids? You know, are the Kendall, are the hybrids good eating? He said, you know, if you fillet them and you cut that red vein out of the middle yeah. and then you soak them in whiskey overnight and then you soak them in buttermilk <laughs> for the next two nights and then you batter them, they're delicious. I'm like, well, yeah. hell, I don't have any fish left at the end of three days. Yeah, what that's do you right. mean they're delicious? There's nothing left. Yeah. I, I, you, they're, uh, I've heard they're good. I've not tried them. <laughs> I'm, I haven't been brave enough to try it yet. So, okay, so you, you lost me when you mentioned the word slimy. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're super slimy. When we're doing electrofishing, we don't even put them in the boat. Really? Um, we just, we just push them off to the side and keep going. We, because they're, they're, a, they're a bull in the boat. They'll splash around and they kick other fish out and have to chase them in the boat. So we just, uh, we may scoop them and move them to the back of the boat and just keep on going. Let them come back. Well, there's a, there's a lady here down on the middle of Lake DeSoto who will come out in the evenings and you'll throw it some fish food and the water will literally boil. I mean, yep. there will be, and you will see them two and three feet long and you swear they're five and 10 footers, five and 10 pounders, huge, huge grass carp. Yeah. Is that okay? Is that a bad idea? Is that. It's okay. They're going to eat, they're going to eat more other stuff. I mean, somebody throwing out fish feed every once in a while is not going to hurt them. Okay. Um, we got folks on some of the lakes that feed every day. 
So uh, somebody throwing out feeds, it's, it's not going to hurt them. And then a benefit to that is it's going to keep them and the catfish and the sunfish and all that kind of stuff around your, around your boat dock. Um, especially if you, if you're an angler, or you've got kids or grandkids that are wanting to fish. It's, it's always nice to kind of have that kind of stuff around where you throw that stuff out, brings them into kind of a frenzy and then the other folks can, can or yourself can catch them. So, unless unless you want your five-year-old to get pulled in. <laughs> well, yeah, there's always that you want to hang on to them. So, uh, I, I, I did, I did, we do catch, uh, we do catch some big, some big fish, um, with our electric fishing, you know, we caught two, two, we caught one on Balboa and one on Coronado. We caught two 50 pound blue cats, um, in our electric fishing. That's a, that's a big fish. Um, I caught one on DeSoto. I caught one on DeSoto in 2010 with a rod and reel weighed 41 pounds. Um, well, well, let's, let's back up. Let's back. Why do we electrofish? You're being mean to the fish, Brad. Why would you do that? You're just a mean person. Why, why would we electrofish? We, we, uh, it's a, we do it for fish health and for fish numbers. Uh, so we can see, uh, if, if we've got issues with those fish, if we're seeing small and skinny fish, we know we need to put some type of forage in. Uh, fortunately for us, we don't see that. Um, we've got plenty of sunfish and, and we don't see a lot of skinny fish. We may see one or two here and there, and that's typical. Uh, you may see a few in, in different lakes, different times, uh, a few scattered about, but, um, we do it for, for that. We can, we get a good idea of fish numbers and, and fish health. Um, and as far as what we do, we, when we put our boats in, um, we start with the power as low as possible. And we'll go to a site, we'll turn the power on and turn it up until we see the result that we want. We always turn our system back down uh, because, you know, the power in the water is based on the conductivity, how it transfers through the water and how it moves through the water and how it affects the fish. And the conductivity is so much different from one lake to the next that we have to adjust that thing down and, and turn it back up. And um, if we went to Coronado where the conductivity is, is very low, Traditionally, and we went to a different lake and just left it at our setting from Coronado, we could kill fish and we don't want that. So we start with our, we always turn our system back down. We turn it up till we see the result that we want. And what we want is the second that that fish swims through that area where the, where the current is reaching, the second that fish swims through that, we want to see is gills flare out and then come to the surface. Or, you know, we want to see immediate taxes. We want to see that fish lock up. We'll scoop it up with a dip net. And when we put in our live well in the boat, that fish comes right back to, um, and it's as alive as it was in the, in the water before it was hit with electricity. So now, then, then you uh, we start low and the, you do a count of the species and the weight and mm-hmm. the size. And... We handle and we, we identify measure and weigh every fish that we collect in that, in our sampling. Um, we use a quarter inch mesh on our nets, uh, so we can get everything down to, you know, we'll have some that are this big, little little darters that you typically see in the streams and, you know, the mountain streams and those kind of things from those up to, you know, the big catfish were about 48 to 50 inches long, those 50 pounders were. I'm letting you go, Randy. I know you got, I can see it in your eyes. You got a million no, I'm questions. Just, I, I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. I do have a question that may not even be pertinent, sure. but I, so I've, I've walked repeatedly. Is it the Magellan Trail? You know, uh-huh. there's all kinds of vegetation, all kinds of green stuff on and I get based on observing and seeing the signs, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good bird watching place. I'm not a bird watcher, but the turtle population in that area still fascinates me. Every time I walk through, it's like, I don't, I don't know that I've seen, 
I've seen that many turtles. What's what's problematic? Is there anything problematic? With- well, the laity thinks it's a swamp there, by the way, because it looks like a swamp. It does look yeah. like a swamp. We, as far as I know, we don't have any issues with turtles. One thing that turtles do is um, they help take care of any kind of fish that were to die, any kind of decomposing organism. Um, you know, we got a lot of geese. Sometimes they die, fish die, especially in the wintertime when we're not on the water as much. Um, they take care of a lot of that stuff. So it's kind of a, it's a benefit to us. Um, there's some property owners that even build pads on their boat docks for the turtles to get up on so they can sun and, and have a place out of the water. So um they're not an issue for us in any way amazing amazing so what do, what do we do with the results of the if we're through with the turtle thing or, or what do we do with the results of the the fish survey with the uh with the fish sampling we we do that ourselves we keep up with all of our information and uh, when we get that all compiled uh each year we turn it into the game and fish and they can use it for uh, their kind of stuff. Our, our sampling is uh, set by their standard. Um, we do the same sampling effort that they do. It's, it's, uh, you get 600 shock time sec. It's uh, 10 minutes over a 600 meter section of shoreline. So um, you got to move along at a pretty good clip. Um, and we scoop every fish that we can see. And so our data is standard with theirs and they can use it for all of their analysis. So we pass that information along to them. Absolutely incredible. Randy, I didn't mean to, to change the topic. No, you're good. You? No, you're good. Any pollution, contamination, disease kind of stuff that you have to contend with? We, we sample for, uh, the department of health for the beaches each summer. Um, um, we had some issues a few years back when Cortez beach was closed and we didn't even know it. The property owner saw it on the department of health website. We hadn't even been informed about it. Uh, so since then, uh, we do all the beach sampling for the Department of Health, uh, and we take those over to uh, to Little Rock, and we do that typically about two weeks before every major event, like for Memorial Day, uh, 4th of July. There's typically one between 4th of July and um, Labor Day weekend, so we usually do four to five times a summer uh, when the lakes are most active and people are most on them. We do, a, uh, we do that, and we get those results back from them um usually in a, a few days and they we've not had any issues since i i've since wondered if that one freak accident on cortez was a mishandling issue but we will never know so uh, we sampled um a few days after when we got the results when we were informed we sampled like the next day and we were well within the parameters so we're not sure what, what happened to that or where it came from we've not we've not, um, recreated that in any way. Yeah. Well, and so the other, one of the big other things is the dredging and I'm guessing there are lakes all over Arkansas, I guess that have not been dredged ever, but in the village, we need to have, we need to have a regular dredging program because. Because we have property owners that live along the shoreline, um, folks that live in the backs of the coves. If we weren't, regularly dredging then a lot of those property owners would lose that shoreline access that they have um lakes are filling in there's sediment moving into those lakes all the time with every rain event there's material moving in and when that material moves in uh, it fills in the lakes and actually it's going to start in the backs of those coves and people are going to lose uh property and lose access and and eventually over time probably not in any of our lifetimes the lakes would fill in um so that's, that's something that has to be mitigated. And the easiest way for us to do that is to drop the lakes and dredge it. 
is the is the material that you pull out now i've seen you do the physical dredging this last year the material that you pull out is it is it good garden soil is it junk is it not worth it is it what it it would depend on the site some of it could be some of it's got a lot of gravel in it some of it's big rocks it depends on what's upstream of each individual location so it it uh it could it depends drastically from one location to the next well, okay. So now we're doing hydraulic dredging right here on DeSoto way up on the far end by, by the golf course. How on earth does hydraulic dredging work? You got water there. The water's high. How do you, how do you get water out of water to get dredge out? Uh, we, we drain the lake. So we open up the valves and, uh, it's the easiest way for us to do it. We have all of our lakes, except for Lake Segovia have a, in, in Lake Lago they have valves on them for us to lower the lakes. So but I mean, the, the hydraulic dredging, hydraulic dredging. For hydraulic, sorry about that. That's okay. For the, the hydraulic dredging, um, we have companies that come in and take care of it for us. Um, they, they basically just suck up the muck and filter it yep, out and yep. put the water. It's, it's, it's essentially that, that hydraulic machine is essentially like, uh, it's got a big auger on the front of it. You've seen a tractor auger on the back, you drill holes with and those kind of things. Well, it spins and moves the material to the middle to a big siphon pump. And that, that pumps the material to uh, as far as a couple thousand feet away into a bag um, to contain that material. The water runs back out, runs back in the lake, and the bags can be, if they're on common property, away from property owners, that kind of out of sight, out of mind, they can be left. Um, we, a lot of times we go in and cut the bag off. We put them in a place where uh, the material can be left. We'll go in and cut the bag off so the bag's gone, the material's there. Um, and we can we can leave it on common. There are other places where we put them, and then we have to we have to get rid of it. We have to haul it off. Well, the water um, so the, the, the water that runs back in the lake it's not muddy. It may be a little bit muddy. Uh, it'll have a little color in it, but it's nothing like um, you know when you have a big rain event. And one of the benefits of that is is while they're doing that dredging, they may be dredging in a place that's that's off somewhere else. And then when they're done, they can come back to the area that the material, the water's running back in and any kind of material that gets flushed back in, they can clean that up at the last instant before they go anywhere else. Wow. Well, well what, what's the cycle? Who gets it next? What's where are we going? What's the next story? So we are, we have Lake Panita and Lake Isabella down right now. Um, hopefully they stay down. We've had some issues with them with the, uh, the rain events over the last couple of weeks, uh, we are on the down with them. Uh, Isabella is about three feet down. Panita is just over six feet down. Um, we're going to keep both of them. Uh, we're going to keep Isabella just over three feet and Panita just over eight um, through the end of February. And then we'll start filling them up. Uh, and then hydraulic dredging will occur on those two lakes after that. Uh, we've got hydraulic dredging on, going on on DeSoto. And for... Next year, or this year, 22-23, uh, we've got Lake Cortez again. So we're on a seven-year rotation. Um, we started in 2017. We have a different dredge plan now. Uh, what we do is we go to – we. I put a – I got with our folks that we work with, and they do the kind of the GIS mapping for us. We don't have the software to do it. Um, but they put a 25-meter grid on all the lakes for us. Um, and we go to every one of those intersections on that 25 meter grid that's in eight feet of water or less. And we stick a piece of PVC pipe or whatever kind of, we didn't use PVC pipe the last few years, but we push that down to a point of refusal and we can measure how deep the sediment is. And if there's more than six inches of material in each of the location, then that's a site that we're going to dredge either mechanically or hydraulically. 
Um, we started that in 2017 on Lake Coronado. Um, we had numbers and volumes, cubic yards of material for each of the locations. And we presented that to the board and we've been under that approach ever since they uh, saw the need for the removal of the material. And we've been doing that ever since. And, and uh, the board's been in support of it and we've got the funding for it, whether it be for us to do it mechanically or, or hydraulically, because uh, it's such a great impact to the property owner. So that's the plan for Cortez. It'll be the first time we've done it on Cortez. Um, so we've got Cortez uh, coming up and then Maria and Sophia and then 24, 25. Uh, we'll be back to Lake Coronado again, and we'll see um, after a really good clean out what kind of what it looks like after after seven year rotation. Now a four month process, roughly, out of a year is we, that what I heard? Right. We typically start no, around uh, the first of November, give or take a couple of weeks, depending on what's going on, what lake. But we usually try to start around November one, lower in the lake. Um, we lower them roughly two inches a day. Uh, that's our target. Some days it'll be a little more, some days it'll be a little less uh, until we get it, depending on which lake and how far we're going. Uh, some of the lakes, we go down eight feet. We've been down six feet on a few um, and three feet on some. Uh, so um, it, that depends on how long it takes us to get it done. Then we like to give the material a week or two to dry out. And then we start in with the mechanical removal. We usually start uh, sometime in December. Uh, we'll start with that and we'll go through the end of February or if we're fortunate or unfortunate as it was for DeSoto, uh, we were still dredging in May. Um, we moved a lot of material that we'd had to move hydraulically, but I'd certainly hope that that doesn't happen again. So over a course of, over a course of say four months, I mean, give us some scope, some, some idea of the, the scope and the scale of the, the volume of material that you remove. Um, I mean, it's got to be a, it's a lot, a lot, biblical, it's biblical. a lot. It's a lot. Um, if you, if you drive by the Panita boat ramp, there's a pile there. Um, and you can kind of see in the parking area, how much material we've, we've moved. Um, and where's that material? We, end up? we haul that material to, um, depending on where it is and what lake we're working on. Um, there's a property owner just outside the village. If we're close working on some of the lakes over there, um, he's gracious enough to let us dump it out there to fill in holes. And we've done that or we haul it down to, uh, to the pit, uh, about half, just past, uh, Woodlands auditorium down there. So we, if, if we're going to haul it, that's those, it's one of those two places is where we haul it to. How many dump trucks, let's put it that way. How many dump trucks do you think you'll haul out? Oh, we hauled, we hauled 30, 30 ish loads of, with dump trucks the other day and didn't make a dent in what we had in the parking lot. So it's, a it's lot. a lot, it's a lot, a lot. It'll, it'll well, be, I mean, I mean it, it'll probably end up being, we'll probably move 10,000 yards of material with dump trucks. And, and, for, and our, for our listeners, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but a dump truck is between 30 and 40 yards. No, 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 no. We don't have one that big. Um, we've got oh. a, we've got a, six yard truck that we run and um that day we ran that many loads we had a, a 12 or 13 yard truck that we were running into so we had two trucks running in and did not even make a truck. truck didn't didn't make a dent didn't make a dent so um one of the things we're looking at for panita uh next week we're getting some bigger bigger equipment what we've run in the past in certain areas 
Um, we just don't have access for anything but a skid steer. We've got to have a small piece of equipment. We've got very limited access. Um, so it's easiest for us to get in and out with that. They've got tracks on them, so they get a lot better traction, uh, especially if the ground is a little bit, fluctu if it fluctuates a little bit, if it floats around. Um, so they go a little bit better. But where we're working in Panita right now and, and the other two places in Panita, it's, it's hard shale bottom. So uh, we're getting a couple of bigger pieces of equipment next week. Uh, we're getting a, a wheel loader that's got a three and a half or four yard bucket. Um, so the parking lot at the boat ramp may fill up a lot faster. <laughs> so uh, is this job security or is this the endless task? <laughs> it's an endless task. I, I would hate for it to be job security. I guess it kind of is, but it's something that comes with uh, getting it done. It, it needs to be done every year and, and, uh, it's a, it's a great benefit to the property owners. It helps, it helps with the water quality. It keeps all the, all the junk and all those kind of things out. And, and it uh, just maintains their shoreline access for, for years to come. That's the intention with it. When was the last time that Panetta was done? 2014, 2014, 2015. And we're finding uh, with what we're doing now, we did it. I was, we actually ran skid steers then. Um, but we did DeSoto the same year. So I think we'd worked on DeSoto and done some sites on DeSoto and then moved over to Panita and Panita was fluctuating with, you know, with the spring rains and that kind of stuff. And, and some of the places that we're doing now are places that we couldn't even get to the last time to do. Um, so we're, we're moving more material now than we were then. And, and we can certainly tell we were trying to get to where we were the last time. And there's a, a hard shale bottom on in the lake. And then there's, you know, about 12 inches of red clay and gray clay and, and rocks mixed in. And when that stuff gets a little bit of water on it, they won't go in it. Well, fortunately, now it's all dry and, and that's what we're moving. And it's got, you know, two feet of silt on top of it in some places. So there's a lot of material to move and, and we're fixing to move a lot faster start next week. So, Randy, are you interested in being a skid driver anytime soon? No. No, no, sure. I don't, <laughs> don't, don't I, answer so quick, but I don't have a, master, I don't have a master's degree either. So uh, it, it doesn't take a master's degree. To here, I promise. I promise. Yeah. I'm sitting here. I'm so, sitting here visioning you sitting in my, uh, a class and you're taking, getting your master's degree and thinking <laughs> just a good use. I'm going to be on a skid skid here. Man, yeah. I can't wait yeah. to get out there and get on that skid steer box in, in, right. in, in 28 degree weather on a, yeah. on a rainy drizzly morning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, yeah but, we, we did that. We did that for, we did that for a couple of years and uh, we get enclosed calves with heaters. Now we don't, we don't play with that anymore. So. Okay, good, good, good. Well, on a serious <laughs> note, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't live on a lake. Dennis does, but so I'm sure he's got even a deeper appreciation, but yeah, I mean, the work that you guys and gals do is, uh, it's impressive. It's impressive. So thank you. Well, we, uh, it, we, it, we it truly it. is. It truly is. And, and Brad, I know that it's, I was trying to paint the picture. I don't know that there's any way to, to, to any way to make everybody happy. The fishermen want a certain thing. The shoreline owners want a certain thing. The The water quality is another thing. It, it, there's so many mixed mixed goals here. It's just difficult. Yep. Randy, I'll, I'll show you next time you come out, Randy. Literally just down in the cove here on Sierra, uh, I would say, I'm guessing here, but they were running skitters in the lake, and they would take a load and push it back up out of the lake. 250 yards, 300 yards maybe, Brad? Yeah. 
And, yeah. and what, what they're trying to do, and I've talked to Brad about this before, about other properties we have, and, you know, they're trying to get the material away from the lake as far as they can. So that the next rain doesn't just wash it right back down in the lake. And it, yep. and anyway, I will say this, uh, this goes back and we probably want to talk to Ernie and some others about this too. Uh, Ernie Deaton, the, the engineer, uh, for, for Cooper, a lot of this is masterful. I mean, I think, you know, Brad, if it wasn't for the way that the POA has laid out this pro this, the POA the Cooper laid out the common property for you to have access to do some of these things you're here on the end of, of Pego, uh, here on Sierra, some of these others, there's just not any way for you to get into the lake and do what you need to do. We'd, we'd have to do it all hydraulically. And that's, uh, that, that's, that may be where we're moving to some of the small lakes on the east end because we don't have a lot of access there. A lot of, a lot of that access is on the dams or it's got a golf course on it or, uh, you know, it, it's a private lot. So um, we're, we're, we're more limited there than we are on the bigger lakes. We have a lot of common property access on the bigger lakes. And, and uh, we've had a few property owners in the past that we've contacted that have allowed us to go across lots and those kind of things, but a lot of, a lot of them have seawalls, especially on the East end, on the smaller lakes. Most of those have seawalls and, you know, running a skid steer across the seawall is not a good idea. Yeah. Well, and for what it's worth, Brad and I've worked on some other issues before. Uh, and, and I will encourage, we never know who's listening or who's watching. And I will say if they're dredging your lake, and if you don't mind material being piled on your lake, and if you want to help the POA contact Brad, um, if you don't mind Brad, right contact Brad and say, you know, yes, you can put stuff on my lot. I've done that many times before and it helps you. It helps me. It, it, it can really be a win-win scenario. It, it can be a good benefit for, for property owners, depending on the type of material. Some of it is really, really soft and it just washes around and that's not good for anybody, but uh, there can, there can be some material that can be a certain benefit. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I think it's lightning round time, don't you, Randy? Yep, I do too. All right, this is quick and painless, Brad. Hamburger or taco? Taco. Beaches or woods? Woods. Far and above woods. Introvert or extrovert? Oh, we lost you. Lost your audio. <laughs> Couldn't hear you. You're, you're too introverted for there us to are. hear. I'm too. I'm too far away. Oh, there <laughs> you are. There you are. You're back. You're back. Okay, so introvert or extrovert? What'd you say? It Introvert. If you had a warning label, what would it say? Stay away, probably. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. Favorite sport or team? I don't. You don't care? No. Really? No, I don't. I don't. I don't watch football. Baby. I. Yeah. No. You nothing. just hunt and fish a lot. That's mm -hmm. about it. Appetizer or dessert? We'll say dessert. That can go depending on the day and the mood. Okay. Any window, any window of your choosing that you sit at pretty regularly, what's the most interesting thing you can see out that window? Uh, kids playing in the yard. That's a first. With a deer in the, with a deer in the yeah, background. I like that. Sneaker sandals or hiking shoes? Uh, waders. Sneakers most of the time. Do you have a nickname? No. First job. DeSoto Golf Maintenance. How old were you? Uh, well, yeah, we'll say that. I, I 
hauled firewood and cut brush and all that kind of stuff. But the first job, real job, was to sort of golf maintenance. And how old were you? Teenager? 16. First pet? Yep. First pet? Oh, a dog of some kind. <laughs> I've had so many. So, yeah, dog of some kind. Favorite movie? I don't know. Uh, maybe open range. I don't know. If you were Kevin super, Costner, if you were a superhero, what power would you have? I don't know. I you wouldn't fly, be Aquaman. Would be pretty cool. You wouldn't be Aquaman. Would be pretty cool. Aquaman. Okay, you probably wouldn't. Although you might. I mean, who knows? But if you did sing a song at karaoke night, what would it be? Uh, at NASA, I tell you, um, just thinking, is it going to be country and Western? No, it's not. Give me just a second. I'll tell you, this is not very fast, but I've I've got it on here. Um, He's got it on his phone. He does. Well, I just I mean, looked at it. I got it on my phone. Yeah, there's another first. I, yeah. So have you sung? I've got it on my phone because it's it's it's. Yeah, it's guitar tabs. I've got it on my phone. So have you it's, sung uh, at a karaoke night before? No, I sing it at church. It's uh, it's called Chainbreaker by Zach Williams. Chainbreaker oh, cool. by Zach Williams. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. so you, you said he's a guitarist. Yep. I didn't know that. All right. Well, tell us more. Well, I, I played. I, I played. That's about it. And you've played how long? Uh, for about five years. And you play at church? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Favorite musician or band? I don't know. Look at him. He's so easy. Zach Williams is pretty good. Jonesboro boy. Yeah. First concert. Uh, I think my first concert was Restless Heart about 92, maybe 94. I think that'll work. They were really big in the day. That was huge. It was Restless Heart and Bailey and the Boys, Magic Springs. Yeah, there you go. Man, thanks for being on. It was, uh, it was awesome. I'll let you say goodnight, Dennis. Well, yeah, uh, Brad, it's, it's a pleasure. We see you out here busting your hump all the time. And I really, we wanted to put a face on the name and, you know, uh, we know you're working hard and trying to do good for everybody involved. There's just a lot of different people pulling you a lot of different directions. And we sincerely appreciate you, buddy. Well, I, I appreciate the invitation. Glad we could get together and, and uh, have a chat. And anytime you guys have any questions, there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. Well, one click, one last quick question. What's the number for Fisher for the fishery department? How would I get in touch with you? Uh, you can send me an email. Um, I just had a card out here. I'll just throw one of them back out again. Um, and all of my information is right on that. So it's Brad B Meredith at yep. HSBPOA.org. B those Meredith. Of those of you listening and watching, we'll put this in the show notes for yep. you. 501-922-2291. 922-2291. Well, for go. Hot Springs Village and Inside Out, for Randy Cantrell, for Brad, 
Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.